Good morning, good morning, good morning, walruses. You're listening to the Speed Mentor podcast with me, your host, Gavin Wall, Chief Walrus, and all the rest of it. Now, let's in the little secret. These next two episodes over the next two weeks, um, I wasn't going to release them. I wasn't going to release them. <laughs> I did an interview um, with a great guy in Belfast here called Pete Launton, um, uh, who is running a property network and a, doing a bit of mentorship and a podcast, a whole lot of other really good stuff here in Northern Ireland. And uh, he asked me, could he interview me for his Fire in the Belly, his Fire in the Belly podcast series, where he goes pretty deep um, with the people that he's interviewing and does a bit of psychoanalysis. Now, I hadn't listened to any of Pete's previous um, interviews, so I was expecting a nice wee jaunt um, through the, 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 the hills and hammocks and valleys of my life. But, you know, nothing more than I'd already put out the most views on, on my own podcast and elsewhere. But I can tell you what, Jesus Christ, Pete took me to some places in this interview and I was I'm actually uncomfortable about releasing it a lot of stuff about my early childhood you can actually hear my cogs going in um, these next two episodes really thinking about some of the building blocks of my life some of the things that happened in my childhood some of my conduct and behavior that I'm not proud of but I actually start thinking about it and reflecting about it and some of it actually defines some of the way that I am today or the outcomes of it certainly does and at the end of the day, um, after much deliberation, I have decided to release it because I talk quite candidly about family relationships and stuff like that too. And But in the, in the interest of full disclosure, I hope you enjoy it. It's a lengthy interview. It's full, two full hours, one, roughly one hour each over the next two weeks because I hope that it will help lots of you out there who are still too afraid to maybe open up and share your life and be the real you. Because only when you love who you are and you're not afraid to expose that to the world can you really maximise the gifts that every single one of you Walrusians has in absolute spades. So, in the interest of that, I'm going to release it. I hope you enjoy, I hope you bear with it, and I hope it brings uh, some value to your day. Good morning and welcome to Fire in the Belly. This morning we have Gavin Wall here with us from, well, Speed Mentor. um, From Belfast, Speed Mentor from Belfast, Northern Northern Ireland. So do you want to introduce yourself, Gavin? Yeah, uh, my name's Gavin Wall. I'm well known in these parts, Mm -hmm. maybe not. Hopefully your your broadcast will will go worldwide and I won't have a clue about Northern Ireland and Belfast. But certainly in these parts, I'm reasonably well known. My background's in law. I then went into business about 12 years ago, and ever since then I have been um, working at trading businesses, then mentoring um, hundreds of uh, other uh, business people across Northern Ireland, mm. uh, trying to bring my, my, my shizzle, uh, my, <laughs> my, my blend of high energy, um, goal getting, um, trying to chase down gorilla, what I would call gorilla goals, yep. and uh, a number of businesses throughout Belfast employ across them probably over 130 people wow. and um, the latest project is in venture capital 
So mm-hmm. I'm raising a ten million pound fund at the minute. As you uh, do. As you do. Uh, and we're looking to turn that ten million to ten billion in value. That's ten billion in wow. value over ten years. So massive, massive ambition. So you've actually joined me at a really good time. Excellent. Ten million to ten billion. Ten billion to ten, ten billion. And all the tens. It's all, it's all <laughs> the tens. I'll be sixty when I do it. Ten in that ten year stretch. So excellent. Yeah. So far in the belly. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of it? What does it mean to you? Yeah, well, certainly, uh, far in the belly, generally, I know, mm-hmm. I know what it means. Sure. Uh, I certainly have seen some of your um, content across social media, particularly on um, Facebook, where you seem to be getting busy at the minute. Um, for me, there's just a relentless drive just to get better every single day. Sure. I've had that since I was 27 years of age. Mm-hmm. I was a total bum up until 27. Now, I managed to get a law degree and stuff like that, but if I'm honest, it didn't take me that much effort in fact no effort whatsoever and i don't mean that in an arrogant form just you know it was good at just scraping through exams and things like that so um but from 27 i had fairly life-changing so well not life-changing but i changed my life around yeah and i determined to get better at everything i did from that point forward for the rest of my life and not to waste my life and achieve as much as i possibly could and i've lived that literally every single day for 22 years well so Belfast Brown and Bread? Yes. Where we are, mm-hmm. I grew up, if you look out my front window, you can see the house I grew up in. Oh, wow, okay. I grew up in this street. Wow. So I am really passionate. I did want to come back to this street. Mm-hmm. I was very fortunate. I had a great um, upbringing. Mm-hmm. I love Belfast. I love trying to make a difference to Northern Ireland. And I, I love this wee patch. Now I have lived in Wales and London and different places, but I was always coming back to here. Mm-hmm. My kids go to the same school I went to well, okay. currently. Um, so Belfast born and bred, I'm really passionate about trying to make a difference. Mm. Okay. And how was upbringing? I mean, kids and school and... Yeah, it was It was good. Um, we were spoiled rotten as, a, as children in our house, mm-hmm. like really spoiled. Um, too, too much. Okay. Uh, I, that has informed my parent, my way of parenting. Um, you can give too much to children. Okay. And I felt we had too much. Now it's just our parents trying to show love. Sure. In a way, it'd be better if they maybe just showed more paternal and maternal love. Okay. Um, not looking to have a go at them, but yeah. rather than gifting all the time, there you go. Take that. Take that. At Christmas, mm-hmm. I used to have to pretend I got less than I actually got. Wow, okay. That, that's how much we were getting, mm-hmm. uh, how generous our parents were to us as children. We wow. were absolutely lavished. Mm-hmm. Two of them, uh, they both came from the Falls Road. They probably didn't have that much when they were growing up. Sometimes you do the exact opposite to what you sure. had. I, that's no... Your voids are your values? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, perhaps I've taken a more balanced view. I sort of <laughs> hope I have, so, but it was great. And um, went to school here, then went to school in North Belfast. I lived in North- South Belfast, went to school in North Belfast, then went to university, did law, all the rest of it. But uh, it was good. Mm. I enjoyed, enjoyed So your parents were originally from the Falls? Yes. But you were up here by the time you were born, were you? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They had just, my dad was a slizder and his practice was going well and he came to South Belfast. Brilliant. Um, in the late 60s. Mm-hmm. Interesting times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. What about your mother? So she was, um, this show, I, I don't know if a lot of people will remember this type of thing, but my mother, funny, she was in the civil service. Okay. And I'm probably a bit more like my mum than my dad. Mm-hmm. People think my dad had some good success. People think, oh, he's 
maybe like his dad in a way mm-hmm. um, but actually I'm far more like my mum she's far more gregarious and even but what she ha- what happened to her and this is this will be interesting for folks at home because they, they won't remember this is that she was in the civil service she was doing really really well okay I actually feel she has an unrequited sense of success in her life she gives so much to us and she didn't have a career but okay. whenever she married and i was born i was a honeymoon baby sorry i'm hitting that table i know that's really bad for cam i always do that <laughs> um, sorry folks um you your rubber gloves. yeah <laughs> so she um i was a honeymoon baby mm-hmm. and i was born uh, nine months after they got married they eloped to get married actually okay. the, the parents didn't see eye to eye okay and they eloped and, from um, the falls or from yeah so they literally lived a hundred yards away wow. uh, I think one thought the other one was a wee bit snobbier than the other <laughs> the, there's levels within levels if you know what I mean this sure. and um, but when she had to be in the civil service you had to give up your job oh wow okay so back in 1970 when I was born mm. if you were female married had a child that was the end of your career as in the civil service wow like that pretty mind-blowing stuff that's mm-hmm. only 50, 40, I'm 49 now I'd be 50 this year yeah but that was the lot of um women back in those days now some might say we haven't completed that journey but I can definitely feel my mum who I think would have been she would probably be up at Stormont but she had been showing those politicians how, how to do it mm. um now she'd have whipped them into shape a lot quicker but um it shows that there's probably a lot of women of that age maybe who had to just I'm not saying that there's anything against being a homemaker, mm-hmm. but maybe didn't get the careers that they could have had. Sure. Uh, I think my mum a wee bit is in that. What was her specialty or what was her? Um, I think she was working for the, 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 the it was called the Potato um, Marketing Board or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so um, she, she wasn't a professional um, in terms of didn't have a degree or anything like that, mm. but she had been, well, I know because I haven't heard a lot from her, um, uh, a real go-getter right and she said to me like she was getting really strong promotions and she was getting promoted ahead of everybody else in there and she would have a very good way with her uh, in relation to people and things mm-hmm. like that and uh, then that was the end of the career well wow, okay there so you, you think you're getting the tough today uh, listen you yeah know? you know you never know mm-hmm. and you, you look back with rose tinted glasses yeah. and you don't realize yeah brothers and sisters then I have one brother who's a year and three months. Oh, sorry, what I'm talking about. One brother very close to me. Mm-hmm. He's a year and three months younger. I have a sister who's four years younger than me. She lives in London, Muswell Hill. And then I have a brother who's 16 years younger than me. Okay. Same mum and dad. He was a wee afterthought came, <laughs> came along. He was more like a son to me, if you know what I mean. He was the, the perfect one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's a blue-eyed boy. He's a blue-eyed boy. Uh, we're the monsters. And yeah. He's a wee one. That, yeah. Oh, fair play. So... To take us through then, so through school, how was school for you? Funny, I was having a conversation with somebody recently about a wee bit of ADHD and stuff like that. I look back on my school uh, and primary school, there's absolutely no doubt. Okay. Um, I was, they they ended up, even though I was one of the brightest in the class, um, I ended up putting me in the remedial class okay. to control my behaviour. This is funny when people mm. talk about these. It's, yeah, it's yeah. amazing how many people actually become entrepreneurs and have that sort of different life sure. um, after they have had stuff that really they didn't know what was going on. Mm. But I, I was bright, but um, there were a lot of control issues or lack of control on my part. Mm-hmm. And even in primary school, I was quite difficult for teachers. 
we still laugh about today uh, put me in remedial class because of not because of my intelligence I'm not saying there's anything wrong with anybody yeah. um, but just to try and get me away from the group sometimes okay. I look back on that now and I think it was probably undiagnosed ADHD mm-hmm. that's the first time I've ever said that out loud but I just hear other people talking about this stuff yeah. and I look back and I go yeah. you know, I mean I had I've never told this story um, outside it was, a, it was a guy Johnny McCullough who went to school reminded me the other day we had a, a, a teacher for recorder so she used to come in to teach us the recorder mm-hmm. for some reason this is when I was eight years of age for some okay. reason I took it that I didn't want to learn a recorder and there was no way I was learning a recorder you didn't see a future no? didn't, see a fu- <laughs> didn't see a future even in those days I was probably right if you've ever heard my singing on my own podcast you'll know <laughs> I don't have a musical bone in my body yeah. but that recorder I refused to bring it in the first class mm. right she gave me 50 lines I must not forget I must not forget to bring my recorder with me to school that's a long okay. line. That's a long line. Fifty <laughs> of those. The next week, I refused to bring it again. Mm. She gave me a hundred. Right. Mm-hmm. By the end of the year, we were up to tens of thousands. I had the entire class. We were using only wee carbon paper. Yeah. And we made these devices so you had like about six pens in a row. <laughs> right. I had the whole class. I refused for the entire year. Right. To bring a recorder at the age of eight. With the whole class doing these, I was paying them to write lines, and I reduced the lines from "I must not forget to bring my recorder" to "Bring toot toot." <laughs> I had the whole class. It was Johnny McCullough who was in my class reminding me about this the other day. I told it in front of my kids, and, <laughs> and I'm just going, "Oh, how am I going to keep them any discipline? This is impossible." But so at the age of eight, mm. I was already at that sort of thing. But I was bright enough, so I was able to get through exams. Um, and there was. A, what do you think that was, though? Do you know? I, I just I do actually think there was a, uh, a, a an issue, maybe an ADHD or some other variant or something like that. I, I was it a call for help or did you just think it was no, just a? Do you, do you know what? I found I was really good at maths and I, I found those things easy. But then once I felt I had mastered something, mm. and do you know what? If you look at my career, <laughs> there's plenty of this signs of this in it, and we'll maybe talk about that later on. Once I have sort of mastered it, yeah, I'm bored. Right. what's next and um, I think that in primary school um, uh, spelling and, uh, and arithmetic were the two main things a bit of reading okay. I'd mastered that fairly quickly and um, I was just bored I was hmm. just going to cause hassle hmm. or havoc a mixture of that and ADHD you said you were happy at that age I mean, yeah you know. I was loving it <laughs> you can't enjoy winding teachers up and I really took yeah. that into my secondary school lots there was lots, lots more of that in my mm. secondary school. Mm. So um, I was happy. Um, that mischievousness um, helped me create followers. Sure. I've sort of probably used that a wee bit in the rest of my life. So, but it was more destructive in those days. Right. I think it was, uh, if there was a bit of authority, I would never been against another pupil mm-hmm. or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It was always against a, a, a bit of an authority figure. Something you didn't agree with? Yeah, but that particular one, it was just stupid. Yeah. I can't even understand why I didn't just bring my recorder. <laughs> just, mm-hmm. I mean, the, ha- the, the stuff we went to for me not to bring it, but the whole class was in then writing lines, carbon paper, pens with um, elastic bands doing this. Bring, bring to to like it was so much more difficult than just doing a recorder mm. that went on for an entire year and then I, I regret because that teacher wasn't able to control me mm. and I look back on that now and I think yikes how would you have controlled you um 
I usually come back to this later, but I mean, almost advice to younger self. I mean, I don't know. It 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 depends. It's hard to say these days. So you have classroom assistants. So you you don't have as often a teacher just isolated on their own. Mm-hmm. If you have thirty pupils and different ones are at different stages of learning, and maybe I maybe maybe I wasn't half as smart as I thought I was, but I thought I was. So I thought, you know what? Mm-hmm. I know this already. Um, I'm going to mess about. I don't think. Certainly, in the teacher in the teaching that I've seen in the same school, actually, mm-hmm. seems to be a very high standard. They're taught better to deal with that type of thing. Okay, um, maybe if there's an issue, it gets diagnosed or looked at earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't believe I'm sharing. All, I've shared a lot of things, as you know, on my mm-hmm. social, but yeah. I've never shared any of this really, actually. Um, so, I think it, I think it would get looked at quicker. Yeah, these days. No, and I get that, like I say, for myself, and mm-hmm. I'm sort of openly dyslexic and mm-hmm. ADHD and all that, and it, it is that... Well, I didn't know you were. It was you who was talking to earlier, yeah, yeah. and I didn't want to... <laughs> just in case... Didn't want to out me. Yeah, yeah, I didn't want to out, just in case no, it wasn't. And I, I'm curious, even yeah. from, from, you know, from schools nowadays, it's, you know, because people say, oh, the system's broke, you know, and it doesn't serve the kids, and it's like, well, almost every child needs a kind of a bespoke yeah. service almost, you know? Yeah, and look, there's a lot of pressures in the home and, mm. and stuff like that. I guess, like, it wasn't my mum and dad's conduct created that, mm. whatever it was. Maybe it was their genes that created that. Maybe <laughs> it was my mum's sense. Maybe I picked my mum's sense of unfulfillment. I don't know if she feels this way. I've mm. never actually talked to her about it, but mm. um, unfulfillment in their own. I took it out in the world. I don't know. So, the homework was something you were pushed never to? Did homework. Never, never did, did homework. Never did homework. Never, ever did homework. Never. Oh, is there any fighting genes yeah, reared up there never. for a second? Look, I, re- I regret it now and I instill it. Like, mm. my kids ever see any of my social stuff, I'll be embarrassed, but um, because we are fairly mm. um, uh, tight around homework and sure. I love to drive my children on. My eldest is a mini me of me, but I, it's a really weird one. She's absolute mini me of me. But I knew that by the age of eight, she mm. could be off the rails. Right. So with that knowledge in my mind, like she's into everything. Mm. Like she just does not stop from the minute she gets up. Mm. Uh, so it's unbelievable. But I parented her in a certain way, knowing what I had been like. Okay. And uh, kept on trying to just corral her into bettering herself rather than just... Mm trying to wreck all around her, if, you, if that makes sense. Sure, sure. And luckily she's just done the transfer test there and did well and all the rest of it. She's so determined, but we've got it going in the right direction. Never had to ask her to do homework. She goes in there, does it herself, does all her practice papers, all of that, wow. without any uh, guidance whatsoever. Mm. The other two might be a wee bit more difficult, but... Mm. Um, they're all different. They're, they're all different. Yeah. Um, I spend a lot of time thinking about the parenting side mm. of things. Okay, so through primary school, then secondary school. Uh huh. What were your specialties there then? Messing about. Chief master. Br- brutal. <laughs> we we used to keep, we used to keep uh, like top of the pops. Mm-hmm. Uh, top of the pops. Now there were guys. So I was going to school in North Belfast. We were we South Belfast softies. Day one we arrived up. I don't think I've ever talked about this before either. Day one we arrived up. Um, my mum made sure we had our blazers from the best from Warnock's you know on the Lisburn Road Wo- full woolen blazers mm. flares not even they weren't even flares flares you could almost have said flares were trendy but they were this 
the whole way up. Right, they were okay. that way the whole way up. So there weren't even flares. It could have been a 70s trendy. So we arrived in 1981, or I arrived in 1981. Full woolen blazer. Everybody else in school had drain pipes and Dr. Martins. We had Clark's shoes and they had nylons, etc. And we stood out, or I stood out. A couple of the ones that came from South Belfast stood mm. out like a sore thumb. And you either had to step up yeah, because you had to show your metal mm-hmm. um, or you get steamrollered. And I had enough of the mm-hmm. about me. Um, more than they did. I wasn't as hard as, you know, sure. I was a, a softy in terms of, you know, I was no fighter and there would have been a fair bit of that at the school. Mm. And then, um, but I certainly stepped up and then I was like, we did Top the Pops, who was the number one messer in the school that week. And we used to keep the charts and all of that. And see, I wasn't at the top of that chart. <laughs> Week in, week out, I was devastated. Uh-huh. Um, so I don't even know why that was important to me. Like, mm. I look back on it now and I cringe. Um, but that's, that's just good. the way it was. Yeah. But, you know, anyway, that's, that's good for you. Yeah. That's fine. I don't know why I was like that. But. So, up to GCSEs and, or O levels? No, o levels, my day. Yeah. O levels, A levels, and then on to do a degree in law. What was your specialties or what, what subjects would have shown? This is going to sound really, really weird. I was really good at getting what I needed to get. Okay. Right. So there were other students who were getting higher grades than me. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad was in law, so it was always thought that I would go into my, my dad's um, legal practice. So yeah. I sort of always knew what I needed to get, and you weren't going to get an ounce more. Mm. And um, so did my O levels, uh, did reasonably well without doing any homeworks, but it was getting progressively tougher. So the A levels were tougher again. And um, uh, two of my three A-levels, I didn't even do for O-level. I picked them out of a hat. <laughs> okay. It sounds crazy. Mm. And I got plenty of A's at O-levels. Mm-hmm. And I still picked out of a hat. and picked two subjects, two out of three that I'd never even done before. Mm-hmm. One of which it turned out I really enjoyed was economics. Mm. Just by chance, I hadn't done that. And I hadn't done the ancient history. And that came out and I didn't even like history in terms of the schooling bit of it. Sure. I ended up picked out ancient history okay. as well, and that was a struggle for me. Um, so it didn't have anything. The only things I really like, the only thing I really liked actually was economics. At sixteen, I asked my parents to leave school because I felt that my A levels were not going to go as well as they might have done. Mm-hmm. Um, because I was not interested, I wanted to go down to um, a college of business, as it was called then, in Brunswick mm-hmm. Street College okay. of Business and Technology. That's where I really wanted to get out and actually start to learn stuff that would have been an interest to me. Mm. The bit that actually we didn't talk about there was I was running lots of little businesses on the outside of school. Okay. So when I think it was about 13, I got um, a sewing machine for Christmas. Mm-hmm. And I started a wee business of taking people's trousers in. And we all had drain pipes for all mods in those days. Just to forgive your mother's sin of <laughs> yeah, <laughs> putting in the big trousers. Yeah, putting in the big trousers. So I started taking in the school trousers. Everything were all taken in. And I did that. And then the following year, I got hair clippers. So I used to cut people's hair and have a wee turn at that. So I was doing, at this stage from, I think from about age of 11 or 12, I was also asking for shares in the stock market for Christmas as well. Mm-hmm. I was really in anything entrepreneurial on the side, no interest really in the school stuff. And, and um, it's her noise outside. But um, 
Yes, yeah, so I wanted to leave school at 16 to go to the College of Biz. And mm. parents said no, and I went to do A levels. Okay. Um, and they turned into, they weren't great. You just want to take it back a wee yeah. bit there. You used a very interesting expression saying it, it was thought you would join your dad's solicitor's program. Yeah. Practice. Yeah. It's very non personalized language and just very. I know. Do you know why it is? Because I've processed a lot of pain around this. We, we may talk about it. I have processed a lot of pain. It's actually that whole thing about I said from the age of 27. Mm. So it felt like my life started at 27. So my dad is old school, mm-hmm. real old school. You don't hear much out of him. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not the modern day dad, if you know what I mean. Sure. He, he's just old school, he keeps himself to himself. So when I say that, he didn't force me to do law, mm-hmm. but it felt like that's what it was expected. Mm-hmm. I really wanted to do business. Um, and the reason I used partly use that language, so I did five years at law and it wasn't really my thing. Mm-hmm. Anybody who's, who knows me will say, it wouldn't have put you down as a slizder or a barrister, Gavin. Sure. Maybe a barrister, definitely not a slizder. So I did five years of that. Mm. Two weeks before I qualified as a slizder, my dad came home with a few uh, beers on board mm-hmm. from the Arts Club in Elmwood Avenue on a Friday night. And he said to me, son, you'll be paddling your own canoe. I'm taking early retirement. So two weeks before I qualified as a slizder, I discovered that I wasn't going into my dad's mm. successful solicitor's practice. And two weeks later, I was probably the first and only ever unemployed solicitor in Northern Ireland. Mm. So totally out of a job mm. two weeks later um, and could not get a job anywhere else because all the other jobs I went for interview for, my dad hadn't announced he was going to retire. He was quite high profile solicitor in the mm. town. Um, they were saying, well, Gavin, why would we bring you in and train you and do all this? You're just going to go to Donnelly Wall. And I didn't want to break his confidence. Sure. So the whole thing about me using that sort of language and personal language and not, it's mm. because I've sort of boxed it. It took me a long time to get over that. Sure. That particular time was three to four years of just utter mayhem in my life, partying, crazy stuff mm. until I got to 27. I think that obviously was completely unexpected. That Totally unexpected. So mm. it took me six months to get a job, and the job that I got was actually selling car insurance. Mm-hmm. So I was qualified solicitor, couldn't get a job in law for six months, and I ended up selling car insurance. Okay. And then bizarrely in the car insurance, this is a real theme, the more I think about it now, mm-hmm. really difficult uh, relationship with my manager at that time, like really, really difficult. Um, I had probably a lot of, pent up frustration at that mm. stage sure. and um, what was that frustration no. I don't know uh, well I do know at that stage yeah I felt mm. that <laughs> I could have been off doing business I did five years in law and uh, then became unemployed and then it started to dawn on me do you know what because I really wanted to come back to this street and it mm. started to dawn on me this is a nice place of uh, a nice bit of the town I was never going to be able to get back to where I had sort of grown up. Okay. I can remember thinking that, that to get back to there, you're going to have to do really well. Mm. And I now think, I'm allowed to swear on your podcast. Sure. And I think I literally in terms of careers and stuff, I'm fucked mm. in, in my twenties. Okay. I did law. I don't really want to do it. I've spent a lot of time doing that. And actually 
it's not where it's, it's not going to do anything for me. Mm. It's very emotive language. Yeah. Yeah, mm. was, that was really tough. I, I just had it in drinking, partying mm. for about three or four years. What do you, do you know your what your dad's thought process so, was on it? I've never thought we have, I don't even know that he knows that he had that conversation with me. Mm. It was obviously he knew he had to have it because yeah. only two weeks left. <laughs> if he'd had it two years earlier, I wouldn't have gone to the institute <laughs> to do my professional qualification. I know your, your wife's a barrister. And um, if he'd had it earlier, I could have saved it. was the thing. But my dad is old school, so talking about something emotional. So it, this is really, it became the drive, and you talk about the fire in my belly. Uh, fire in the belly. It became the dri- it became the driving force. Mm. So from twenty seven, I've worked it out. I think I worked it out later, but from twenty seven to thirty seven, that drove me like it was a negative. You should really never use. I've reflected on it. You shouldn't mm. use negative emotion for this period of time that I did. Mm. But I determined as well as I was going to get better every day. I started trying to give up drink at twenty seven. It took me mm. ten years to get off it till thirty seven. Mm-hmm. Um, but. I decided that I was going to be more successful than my dad. Okay. Just to say that to him. Mm. Is your dad still around? So yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I've great relationship now. It mm. took me. It took me a lot of processing. Sure, sure. So I, I said I was going to get uh, be more successful than mm. than my dad uh, and do that to him. Mm. Now, so at twenty seven, then what happened was I got a job as a solicitor okay. in the civil service. Mm-hmm. I can imagine me in the civil service. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> that was another place I wrecked. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you, flipping ended up suing them and flipping all sorts. Of, just another place, just my face didn't fit. I kept on getting mm. into places where my face didn't fit. Uh, um, and that's why ultimately uh, I think my face does fit in business, hopefully. But I kept on mm-hmm. getting, that was another place. The face didn't fit, but at 27, I was in there, realised right I'll give it a shot here but what started happening at that stage was I had started buying properties on the side so I got a job looking after the OMA office for for the civil service where I was working and uh, I got myself a 700 pound police car ex-police car for 700 quid I dundered in no brakes I I shouldn't even say that (laughs) total wreck shouldn't have been driving I drove to OMA every day in that and back and um, I was earning about 70 or 80 pounds per day for that. Mm-hmm. And I was away for more than 10 hours per day. So I was getting double bubble on my lunch money. Um, got nine quid and I was bringing a packed lunch. Mm-hmm. So I think 80 odd quid per day. And uh, I started using that money to invest in property. Okay. So, and then I also started tra- trading shares. I bought a wee computer, Jornada, this is back in the 90s. Right. And I was trading shares during my lunch break. And then I also had an international phone card business uh, as well. And I was the most successful franchisee in the whole of the UK. Wow. So I was doing that all at the same time. And I was making, started making really good money and started investing it in the properties. So help me on the timeline. So then first yeah. property was when? About uh, 90, uh, 1997. Okay. Uh, so you were 29? No, 20? 27. 27. 27. Okay. Excellent. Um, and then so shares and all happened at the same time? Yeah. So you full-time in civil service? Yeah. Doing and I worked hard. I actually worked, I worked hard um, down mm. there because they had three, um, they used to have three lawyers down there and now they only had one. So it was actually a, 
look, the last 22 years, I've worked flat out for 22 years, and mm-hmm. that was, the civil service wouldn't have been totally flat out, but it's because it's doing the other things as well. Mm-hmm. So Saturday, Sunday would have been out sourcing, looking for properties and driving around, looking at different areas. Mm. Um, what were you looking for? I was looking for rental yields. That was really what, what mm-hmm. I was looking at. Um, I think north of 10% rental yield, mm-hmm. um, which you could get back in those days. Still can. Uh, you still can. <laughs> I know. You still can. Uh, people buy less, but you get yeah. 10% rental yields, uh, getting more than 10%. Sometimes yeah. we do our upper, started then doing them up mm. as well. You hands on or did you? Yeah, hands no on? hands on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If I built a kitchen once, I'm a total flipping. I don't even know how I did it. Just down on, on the Lisburn Road, actually. Always feeling at you at that time, do you know? That was just that, that was the dad. Get better every day and be more successful than my dad. Just so, absolutely determined. So the so the burning so, sort of resentment of him was still still there at that stage. Was it resentment or I how, think how was, would you describe it? I just have to be honest, you know, and I don't feel that it was resentment not to my dad or to what had happened. I felt he'd let me down. I felt mm-hmm. he led me down a garden path. Um, when I really look at it, he never specifically said mm-hmm. you were entitled to this and that. But it was the best lesson that ever happened to me. It was. No one knows you, and I said people all the time. Mm. It was only when I let go of that. That mm. sounds a bit weird to say that your dad doesn't know you anything, but when I was able to say my dad doesn't, then nobody owes me anything. Mm. That has really freed me to become almost total self determination. Everything I do is down to me. Mm. And if somebody doesn't reciprocate something I've done nicely for them, I don't let it worry me. I just move on. Sure. Um, and just keep on giving. But. Um, yeah, I'll just pull you back a wee yeah. bit into into school, and you know your your application of mm-hmm. picking a subject out of yeah. the hat. Do you know what your thought process or your learning process was? I mean, did you see it as a challenge, or it was just an activity, or or you know, and, and did learning come easy for you, or it was? I'm probably a quick learner. I'm probably a quick learner, but mm-hmm. I get bored very very easily. Okay, so I can soak up. Uh, if I was in one in every four or five classes, okay. I would pick up enough to pass the exam, okay. sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, this is, I haven't talked about this before either. I, I actually, this is a wee weird one for some of the really good students that were at our school, guys like Pete Cusick and Jimmy Nagel and different guys. It's interesting. I, I look back on now and I wonder, was I afraid to pit myself against them? Mm-hmm. Those guys were machines. They were working really hard from day one. Now, I can remember on day one, we arrived in, everybody had to write an essay. Mine was the best essay in the class about your first experience of the school, and mine got brought to the president of the school. Okay. And that was a high point of my educational career. Right. <laughs> when they were really impressed. My dad got to find out and everything like that. And that was it. And then it was sort of steadily, mm-hmm. um, because I was doing less and less work than they were doing. I, I, I wonder a wee bit, I've, looked, I've thought about this from time to time, think, was I afraid to pit myself? Afraid of success? Yeah. To get, no, I didn't know what, it's half, well, you know yourself, the fear of success, the fear of failure, they're so mm-hmm. interlinked. And whether I thought... I couldn't keep up with them. Mm. Whether I thought maybe they were smarter than me. Was there a perfectionism type slant on it, do you think? Or? Yeah, my, I love to be able to say that I was the best at doing no work but still getting the exams. Okay. I, I set a new standard and <laughs> I genuinely was doing no work. Mm. Um, I don't, like, I'm not, there will not be many harder workers than me out there in, in the workplace. So it's not, it hasn't, 
yeah. and come into my work life. Um, but I set up a new standard. I used to like setting up standards. Hmm. So the standard was who could do the less work but still get the exams. I was <laughs> definitely the best at that. Hmm. Whether I could have matched them in the exams, sure. I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. I just don't know from NLP techniques. It's almost yeah. one of those things where you self sabotage almost. You know, hundred percent. You know, well, it was, I could have been brilliant if yeah, if I hadn't have done something yeah to jeopardize yourself. Yeah, and was the, well, there was the fear of success, the fear of failure. Mm. I would have had more success, but do you know what? The other thing was actually, that, uh, I just there were, it was both. I didn't like the way it was taught sure. either, so it wasn't interesting me. Mm. The only thing I ever did like was economics, and I did well at economics. Mm. Um, what was, was it about economics that you But there was a business side of things that actually meant things. So remember, mm-hmm. I had I had we side businesses. Sure. Um, the elasticity of supply and demand and things like that. And mm. I was actually analysing that. Um, if you look back, actually something that did interest me in school was the debating society. Okay. So the debating society before I joined in lower sixth, it was the smallest club of the whole school. Okay. They literally would have had. So it wasn't the, the subjects didn't interest me apart from economics, but they would have had maybe six six or ten people would have turned up. I joined it and took over it, <laughs> and it was the it became the biggest club right. in the entire school. I mean, we had to go. They used to do a wee classroom. We used to have to go and do our debates in the hall because mm-hmm. we were absolutely rammed. So I did the marketing, did the posters. That chose the um, debates or was a Miss Pedigree was absolutely brilliant. I was mm-hmm. quite in awe of her at the time. She's a lovely woman and um, used to help with all of that. And I used to go around and drum up people, you know, um, uh, you know, debates like we should not tolerate the intolerance, you know, d- d- interesting stuff. Sure. And um, so that really got me excited actually at school mm. more more than the subjects, some of the, the side projects mm. uh, and economics. Well, first job then. First job, first proper, what's first job? Give us both because there's obviously something going on there. No, there's few, I remember actually in the street at 16, I've got bad back to this day because of it, but um, I actually built an entire patio. <laughs> Not your own, I take it? No, from mum and dad's. Okay. Yeah, from mum and dad's. Really? They had a builder who left a lot of rubble mm-hmm. actually at the house and I built the patio. Um, Mixed the cement and everything, so this is mm-hmm. 16, mixed the cement, um, ordered the flagstones, but lifted the flagstones myself, I just did my back, and I've still mm. got a problem with it since. And um, dug a hole, massive hole, filled it with all this rubble. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if that's legal these days, <laughs> being back then. And um, uh, built the patio wow. that Mrs. Featherstone across the road then inherited. It's probably rubbish, <laughs> <laughs> it didn't last too long after we left. We left the next year whenever my, my younger brother arrived on the scene. Um, so that, those I consider those all as uh, as little jobs. Mm. And uh, I worked in Lavery's Bar. Everybody should work. Everybody in Belfast should work, have a work in Lavery's Bar. Um, Charlie Lavery, who was the owner at the time or mm. certain part owner, he was my dad's best man. <clears throat> I worked there um, behind the bar. Or? Behind the bar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So how was pulling points for you? Yeah, look, you know what Lavery's is like? Absolutely mental. Like if you want to test yourself mm. <laughs> under stressful conditions as a bar person, you didn't get that much training. Um, mm. Bernard Lavery was in, he, he now runs the place and um, he was sort of the manager at the time. Well, he was, he was Charlie's nephew, but um, great guy. Mm. 
Yeah, probably Lavery's Bar, and then the first big one really was um, Boga McNulty Slizders, where I was a trainee Slizder okay. into my twenties. Then um, Boga McNulty. I worked in London several summers um, as a janitor in Arlington House. Um, I was good. The one actually, I was a janitor, so I had to go and find the dead people in the mornings. <laughs> So you were a janitor, stroke cleaner, and Arlington House was a refuge. It's actually been on TV and before it was a refuge for homeless and stuff like that. Okay. And I really, I really enjoyed it. I built up great relationships and rapports. Mm. After working, after one week working there, I discovered that the recruitment agency that had placed me there actually was getting more money than I was mm-hmm. for the job. Mm-hmm. And just with my usual wee um, entrepreneurial stuff, I then approached Arlington House and said, "Look, you've seen my work. I'm a hard worker." Mm-hmm. Um, I could do this for you directly. Yeah. And put a wee phone call to say, oh, way I'm homesick, I'm way back to Belfast, <laughs> <laughs> to recruitment agency. And then they employed me directly and I earned really strong money. Um, then I was getting over £300 a week back in uh, 1987. What was it about that that appealed to you? Um, that job. Just, uh, do you know what? See when I was getting paid money. Mm. Money's less important to me now, actually, but mm. I think it was independence. So my, my parents spoiled us rotten, mm. right? They spoiled us rotten. You look at all my wee jobs, they spoiled us rotten, but they kept complete control. Okay. So if, you know, like, maybe children sometimes have been given a few pounds, maybe they go on holiday on their own as they hit their 16, mm. 17th and they're railing or something like that. Sure. Um, in our house, no, you come with us mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, so spoiled us rotten, but didn't like us to have much independence so I always liked making money okay and I became pretty good at that mm. to give me a bit of independence sure um so when I was earning that money you know I, I felt I felt good but you also you had a bit of a, an energy spike there whenever you talked about working with the people and and finding the bodies as well yeah I used <laughs> so to find the, find the bodies so I used to check all the rooms overnight people would pass away hey mm. maybe an overdose just an accidental overdose mm. or just an older person or you know cold or anything like that mm. um, I've still got some great memories of the relationships um, was that the connection did you enjoy the connection yeah I enjoy people? I enjoy I enjoy I enjoy your, your relationship with people can change over time as your skill set improves, etc. Sure. So now, you know, I enjoy trying to inspire people, trying to get people to be better in their lives, mm. trying to show lead an example. Then I just enjoyed helping people. Okay. And um, they used to keep me back afterwards, used to go and play pool and snooker and stuff with some of the people who were staying at Arlington House and really enjoyed that and, and built strong relationships with them. Mm. And Arlington House had seen that from the first week. Mm-hmm. Um, they just didn't just come in and just mark time yeah i actually clean i remember the floors I used to clean them like my life depended on it um used to every time you opened the door when you saw somebody and they were alive and it's just yeah great you know and mm. they used to like see me coming they made a real impact that first week because i think that would have damaged their relationship potentially with the recruitment agency which they really needed sure. um so it, it was a big bit of trust for them to say gavin will take you directly Mm-hmm. Not sorry. I wonder who the recruitment is. I don't know if they still have that relationship. <laughs> but we we basically split the difference of the yeah. recruiter. Maybe I did something wrong there, but anyway, it's a win-win. Yeah, it was win-win. It was nice day for the whole the entire summer. Wow. Well, oh, in fact, only had one day off actually that entire summer. That's mm. the story of my life actually. Even though that was before I really turned my life around, I was I was younger, um, and we went to Brighton myself and my friend, the best friend, who became a my um, best man. We actually went to Brighton, but worked every other day. Mm. 
So London was a, a summer yeah. expedition for you almost, was it? Yeah, I went back then the next summer as well. The next summer was actually security guard for um, Columbia TriStar Pictures, just as the, um, the Simpsons was being launched. Right, okay. Which was a really interesting time. It was just back in the 80, maybe 89, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, uh, yeah, interesting times. L- London was good, but just hard, hard work. What drag you to London? What was the inspiration um, there? I don't know, just... Took an ocean. Big city, took an ocean. Um, just wanted to see what it was like. What were parents' attitude to this? Well, at that stage, you were you could do your own thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was at university, actually, that second time. Mm. So. Well, okay. So, university was where? Um, in Wales. Okay. In Pondypreeth. It's university. It's called University of Wales. Mm-hmm. Um, my aunt lives in Wales. Um, and uh, my... My brother then, he went to university in Cardiff. Um, so we both actually went to Wales. Okay. To study. Just Wales just take your fancy? I, Wales just took a fancy. Well, what ha- I actually didn't finish the A-levels, but so I did okay in the A-levels, but not enough to get into the Queens. Right. And, um, but I'd hated, I mean, I, mean, I had despised the A-levels at that stage. So you did? No homework. Barely, I mean, I was bunking off all the time. I see if my kids ever see this. <laughs> Um, I was on report regularly. Um, I still did okay in the A-levels, but not enough for Queen's. So what were your subjects? History, ancient history and economics. Okay. Um, so just nobody does. It's, it's just those exam subjects are just ludicrous. Like, mm. um, So what happened was, hated it, went to repeat okay. them thinking about maybe getting the Queens. Three days in, I was already bunking off. And I just said, this is going to be, I'll get even worse this year. I knew it. I'll mm. get worse this year than I did last year. Mm. And um, I've never talked, because I've never actually talked about this before, but um, so I said, you know what, maybe there's somewhere I could already go and do my law. And I went through clearing. Mm-hmm. And that's how I got in there with the grades well, okay. that I had without repeating. Mm-hmm. Because if I'd repeated, it would definitely have been worse. Yeah. In fact, I would be surprised if I even turned up for the exams. Um, so I, I went there. It's interesting you had a perception of yourself mm. at that point. You know, a lot of people don't necessarily. Is that right? You know, it's you don't. I mean, the, the old sort of I cannot see itself. But at that stage, yeah. to know that this was a... The path that actually you couldn't go down, or oh, the new, uh, yeah, yeah. I'll say, you see, there, no matter what, I, I, I might come out later. I am a survivor. Mm. See, whenever I get to somewhere, I can just see it just in time. Mm-hmm. I mean, that would have been a total. That year would have been just a total waste. Maybe that wouldn't have been a bad thing. I won. Maybe I would have gone on and do something else because I had the grades to get in to do business studies at Jordanstown, mm. which is what I actually wanted to do. Okay. Um, but my dad had never had. If my dad had, had the conversation at that stage, I would never have done law. Mm. I'd have gone and done because that was my second choice was Jordanst. So I had law, Queens first, mm-hmm. Jordanstown business studies second. Right, okay. I had enough for Jordanstown business studies, but I didn't have enough for law at Queens. Um, if I knew at that stage I wasn't going to Downing Wall, I'd go straight and do business studies sure. for uh, 100% certain. Um, but I didn't know that. So I repeated um, mm. for literally three days and said, this is 
I knew how painful it had been the first time round. Okay. Um, so what, what I mean, repeating, what, what did that do for you? The, the st- for three days? Mm-hmm. Well, I'd already, I'd already bunked off. I was only three <laughs> days in. I said, I hated these the first time round. Okay. Um, this is going to be worse. Okay. I just knew it. Mm. And I said, you know what? Um, if, law, if it's law, it's the thing to do. Um, going to go into Donlane Wall. Let's see if somebody else will take me. Okay. So I went through clearing and... Um, uh, University of Wales would take me. It's an old polytechnic, as it were. Sure. Uh, and then off I went. Do you remember your parents' perception at that time? Yeah. Or? Oh, yeah. I don't want to put my dad. If you're not comfortable. Uh, no, look, I have a great, I've said plenty of stuff in, in my own podcast, but there were... My mum is my harshest critic. Mum's tough. Okay. She's my harshest critic, but only because she cares. Okay. So um, she would be like they they that's our high there's a high bar you know and my dad I can remember whenever I got my results in my A levels I shouldn't say this he said your wee brother Ben would have done better and he was two that's <laughs> <laughs> tough that's tough stuff Dif- different times yeah and they were you know different different times and he was probably well do you know what they knew what I had put into it. Mm. And what I put into it was zero. Mm. I did remarkably well, given I had put absolutely zero into it. Mm. And that's why there was a law of diminishing returns. Repeating it, mm. repeating them, wasn't going to be a good thing. I would get less than my brother Ben <laughs> if, I'd, if I'd repeated them. So off I went to... Um, but you see if you say... See if somebody outside the family says something about me. Mm-hmm. My mum was... <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Mum's allowed to cut, chop me off at the knees, but sure. it's only it's probably for my own protection sometimes. Mm. Um, but nobody else is allowed to. Um, so it's a funny one. Mm. Did any of your brothers and sisters go into law at all? Or? Yeah, so I did law. Mm-hmm. Uh, my brother did law a year younger than me. Okay. But he found out before he finished. So he did his degree and then didn't do the professional qualifications because okay. he found out... Um, about me, he was actually two years behind me at school. Right. So by the time he knew I wasn't going to Donnelly Wall, he didn't do the professional qualification. Okay. So my brother, Mickey Wall, he did law. Mm-hmm. And my brother, 16 years younger, mm-hmm. he did law also. Okay. And he is, um, he was a barrister originally, and that didn't work out for him. And he's now in a really successful, he's a partner, him and uh, a guy called uh, uh, Neil McGranahan. They have a firm of solicitors in... They bought it a couple of, two years ago in uh, Newton Arts called Boyd Rice Slizders, okay. and they're doing really well. They're flat out. Mm-hmm. They're doing really well. So three brothers all did law, mm-hmm. and none of them ended up in Donnelly Wall. Interestingly, a guy who was in my class at the institute mm-hmm. um, is partner in Donnelly Wall. Okay. <laughs> so he was. He ended up. This is bizarre, this is how bizarre this was. He mm-hmm. was in my class at Queens at the institute. Mm-hmm. He ended up in Donnelly Wall and I was an unemployed solicitor. Wow. Now that would pickle your head. Sure. So he ended up and he's a partner in there. Oh, Andy Kenny, good luck to him. I'm glad. Mm-hmm. In fact, it was the best thing ever happened to me. Sure. I didn't know at the time. Mm-hmm. Do you think the writing was on the wall right from that application? You know, sort of law one, business studies two? Yeah, so the heart was all, the, the heart was, I was an entrepreneur inside. And when we go on with the, um, the story a bit more it was always a battle it mm. was what was expected of me was mm-hmm. the law so if we if we jump forward mm. so i'd had this thing after the three or four years of just 
blowing my head off at parties. Then I started doing the international phone cards, doing the ban the houses. And then um, I was in the civil service. I was doing something else, can't even remember now. And um, ultimately I realized that I was different from the other people in the civil service. We went to a, a course on change and change management. There was going to be a lot of changes coming up in the, okay. and all I had all day long, I, I'll tell you the truth, but 20% 20, 20 of the people are really hardworking, were really hardworking mm. and really, really good, good people. I'm not saying the 80% weren't good people, but they just weren't. And 20% carried the 80%. Okay. okay. The 20%, the more work they did, the more they got. And that's just the way of it. That's what it was like there. Mm -hmm. So, but everybody complained. Okay. Just complaining, complaining, complaining. Hit our jobs, hit our lives, blah, blah, blah. So we went to this change, mm -hmm. this thing on change. And I thought, brilliant. Naively, I thought, brilliant. Everybody's going to be really happy. <laughs> There's all this change is coming. They're going to be, because they hate it. <laughs> All they do is complain. I'm sick of complaining because I was working real. You yeah. know, I was going to become more successful than my dad. And I was, uh, and we went to this thing called change. Mm -hmm. And I went in happy face. This could be the making of me. You know, staying here because I've got my side hustles and, and those are going well for me. And you know, my mum liked me being in the civil service. She was really happy. Sure. In fact, she got me the job advert. She gave it to me when I was in the car. And she said, "There's a job for you." And I applied and got it. So went the change thing. Fuckers. I tell so this is what they're all sitting like this there's fucking change there's no fucking I says all you do is moan what do you mean this is what you've been waiting for mm. oh fuck no no I said it could, turn, it could change for the better fucking change for the better my arse and then that moment I just went bang this isn't for me yeah. um, what they're looking to get out of life is totally different to what I'm getting out of, looking mm. to get out of life but the weird thing was at that stage, because I had the business stuff going on, the international phone cards business, most successful in the UK, I had the houses, up the multiple houses at that stage. Um, I should have gone to business. But the thing about my dad, about being more successful than my dad, I couldn't get that out of my head. I still had this negative feeling mm -hmm. to what had happened. And so instead of going to business, I went, I switched to become a barrister. So I sold one of my houses and made 17,000 profit on it. And um, that gave me enough money to give up the job at the civil service to go back to Queen's Institute to swap over to become a barrister. Wow. And um, that's what I did. Mm. Fair play. That wee change thing, I just said, I, I, they're different from me. I, I'm looking forward to change. I want to keep changing. Mm. That just stimulates me. They were all moaning. And they'd been moaning before, and I realised then they're going to keep moaning. I need to get myself away from that. So I went back, um, went to the bar, mm -hmm. I swapped over to the bar, sold my first house, uh, made the 17,000 profit, used it, went to the bar, and um, uh, really enjoyed the bar. I really enjoyed being a barrister. And I had a lot of success as a barrister, like really, really quickly. Because I had more experience, sure. and because I had experience in law, um, haven't been on the slister side of it, etc. Mm. I went to the bar and picked up work uh, and I was a bit more mature. I was in my late 20s, 29, mm -hmm. 30, something like that. And uh, so I picked up work really, really quickly. And mm -hmm. um, I was earning quite a lot of money very, very quickly. Whereas a lot of barristers will struggle in those first few years. Sure. I actually jumped straight in within 18 months. I was absolutely flying. What was your specialty? Law or criminal, criminal mm -hmm. law. So I wanted to do criminal. My dad was a criminal solicitor. Okay. 
So he did all of the troubles during the troubles. He was doing defending all sorts of heinous crimes. Mm. And um, so I always had an interest in on the criminal side of law. So I actually refused to take civil law. Okay. Um, because I was so focused on what I was doing. Mm. Um, and I kept charts like you would do in a business, spreadsheets on the cases with how many slizzers were briefing me, they're all of that, how many cases, oh, really, I used to love coming home to my spreadsheets, now most <laughs> barristers wouldn't have, they were maybe going down the pub the, you know, at the end of the week, I was saying going back to my spreadsheets and, right, how many, That's, you know, it's like a funnel, you know, and da, 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 da. I'm keeping all of my, I loved, I loved doing my spreadsheets. So um, what were you looking for? I was just looking for continual growth, okay. set new targets. What's my target for this year? Mm. How many solicitors, how many cases, how much money, um, how much success. Okay. Um, and I did that and I just wanted, I can remember at my wedding, this is, this is really weird, at my wedding, so my in-law, my cousins, sorry, my cousins, mm-hmm. um, who, who um, live over in West and they're good people. I can remember at my wedding, and people go on to, you're switching to the bar and we've switched to the bar and why would you take that risk? Mm-hmm. And I remember a big table of my cousins, my auntie Betty and all the rest, all really good people, lovely people. They, they think my dad, they mm-hmm. worship my dad. I'm not saying there's any reason that they're wrong to worship my dad. Yeah. Uh, and I worship my dad now, I've processed all this stuff, but they said to me, what's this all about? Because mm-hmm. I was really driven. I was going to fuck kill dead things. I was so driven. <laughs> and at my own wedding, they said, why they are asking me these questions? I says, because I'm going to be more successful than my dad. <laughs> Jesus Christ, the table of my cousins. Talk about pin drop moment. Just total silence. But they didn't know what I had been through. They think sure. my dad's perfect. None of us is perfect. And they didn't know mm. what I had been through. And so I did that anyway till I was about um, 36, 37. Mm. And one day, barrister's second best job in the world after entrepreneurship. And one day, um, I just literally woke up and said, right, I'm now as successful as my dad. And he was really successful. So mm. I, I was earning hundreds of thousands of pounds a year. Um, I was real, well respected as a barrister, getting lots of, some of the biggest cases. And woke up and said, right, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. Mm. No barrister in Northern Ireland has ever said that. that I mean, sure. it's, impo- it's nearly impossible to say that because when you earn uh, that sort of money, a mm. uh, big house in South Belfast at the time and uh, earn lots of money, you just, you can't walk away from it. It's, it's gets you gets you hooked in. And I enjoyed it as well. Sure. But actually that was the end of my, my bit with my dad. Had done that, I had achieved that, I had driven on it for 10 years, I carried that negative emotion mm. and I had achieved it. And I woke up, I don't, want to do it. I don't want to do this for the rest of my life because there's no more growth. It's really weird, mm. there was no more growth. And I said to my wife, she's looking at me going, <laughs> Are you mad? Mm. This, I said, I don't think I'm going to do this, I, I'm going to leave. Even though I enjoyed it, mm. it's bizarre. And um, what did you enjoy about it? I enjoyed having success with it okay. I did enjoy criminal law as well and see the buzz of winning cases it's pretty it's powerful learning success was for you yeah see winning cases I used to love and I was winning cases not because I was necessarily the most knowledgeable on the law mm-hmm. I used to I was looking at all of the wee moving parts 
around who was he up against, who was the judge, okay. what were their pressure points, who was lazy, who didn't know their stuff, what angle could have bluffed them, could have played them in poker, if you know mm-hmm. what I mean, mm-hmm. um, using all of those techniques. Mm. Um, and maybe NLP a whole lot of stuff without me knowing that sure. I was I used to be really good at doing that sort of stuff to mm. get the results and when you get results you get more cases because solicitors want to use you when they see you winning cases sure. and I, I, I enjoyed that I enjoyed look I was driving the Porsche 911 at the time I was a big house I mean what's not the like I was going to Dubai sure. could go to Cuba wherever look it was a great life it was mm. a life that everybody dreams of surely mm. So there you have it, the end of the first part of this two-parter, Walruses. It was a life that everybody dreams of. That's what I had, the life that everybody dreams of. Lots of wealth, lots of success, lots of glory, lots of property, great legal cases, big house in the best part of town. But that wasn't enough. What the fuck is wrong with me? Seriously, what the fuck? is wrong with me that would be enough for anybody else but for some reason not for me and over the next episode you'll find out a wee bit more about why it wasn't enough and I hope you stayed with me I'm glad you did it's been a cathartic process sharing some of this stuff with you all as I said I almost didn't release it and I'll wrap up now and say listen you know what it's all about the next seven days until you listen to the next part Whatever happens in those next seven days, it's your choice.